Thank you that you have given us the truth. And your word says that the church is the pillar of truth, that which holds the truth up in this world today. But Lord, your church is filled with people that don't know how to discern the truth. We need to learn how to discern. So help us to be drawn into your word and allow your word by the anointing of your spirit to teach us and instruct us and strengthen us. For this, this word book is not just a book like any other book. It is the word of God speaking to us today. For you are a God who speaks to your people. And so today as we open up this word, may we have eyes to see ears to hear, and hearts to grasp what you are saying to each one of us personally and individually today. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we've been speaking for several... Well, you know what? I didn't pray for the teens. Father, we pray right now. We come together in agreement and thank you for the things that have been deposited in these young people's lives, the experiences that they've had with you and in your, in your spirit. We thank you, Father. Now we pray as they, prepare, as they prepare to come home and as they travel home, Lord, that these seeds would not, would, not, would not die, that these seeds would begin to be watered and to be germinate and would grow and begin to produce a crop 30, 60, and 100-fold in their lives and that that fruit of their lives, of what you've done this weekend, would bless and touch the lives of others. Father, we believe that you are starting something and going to continue something among our young people that will spread beyond the boundaries of downstairs, up here, and throughout this congregation. And so we're trusting you for these things. We thank you, Father, that you watch over them and bring them home safely as they travel home. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, we've been talking over the last few weeks about a, the title of this general series is Pulling Back the Curtain. The curtain refers to the boundaries of our five senses and of our mind. And that is really what we would normally consider what's real. What's real to you and to me by and large is what we see around us, what we experience, and the things that we can begin to see and understand with our mind. That includes everything from the far reaches that the, the astronomers can see down to the finest, the smallest, tiniest little molecular element. But all of those are in a realm of existence that the Bible refers to as, as the natural realm. And I, it's, it's what is on this side of the curtain. Because when you come into a theater or something and the, th- and the curtain's closed, you have no idea what's behind the stage, what's on the stage, whether there's a scene set up there. And if so, what that scene is, all you see is this curtain and everybody is in the room. But when the, when the play starts and the curtain is drawn back, now you see what was prepared for you to experience that's on the other side of that curtain. What was on the other side of this curtain that the Bible teaches is the spirit realm, the real realm that's out there. It's eternal. It's beyond the, it's beyond the normal access of your five senses. It's beyond the, the realm of normal reason. It is supernatural. It is beyond that, but it is the most, it is eternal. And, it, and what goes on behind that curtain, what goes on in that realm, dramatically affects this world and what's going on in this world today. We're seeing, we're seeing the outplay of a, of a, of a drama that's being operated behind the curtain. And so you can't make decisions, you can't evaluate things without being able to discern 
what's going on behind the curtain. And the, and the Bible gives us some glimpses of it. It doesn't give us a full picture. It gives us some glimpses of it. And then we looked at, well, also where this advice is important to understand is because prayer's effectiveness is behind that curtain. Behind that curtain is the power of God to affect your lives, your family, and the world that's around us. But He lives behind that curtain. And the prayers work behind that curtain to affect this realm. So prayers don't work here. They work behind the curtain to bring their power and effect into this realm. We saw God as a father behind this realm. And we looked at who he was on, on Father's Day. And then we began to look at us. There's a curtain that we carry around with us. And it's not up here on a stage. It's your body. It's your flesh and it's your natural mind. And we began to realize that's not really who you are. We found out there, there are three parts to you. There's your body. That's this realm. The, the Bible refers to it as your carnal nature, your, 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 your flesh. And, and I like to refer to it as your earth suit. Space travelers, astronauts, they need a space suit to walk on the moon because the atmosphere on the moon, or once you get outside of our atmosphere here, is hostile to the human body. So they need to be contained within a suit that allows them to operate in that realm. Well, your body is your space suit here. It's your earth suit. It's what allows you to function in this natural physical realm, but it's not who you are any more than that space suit that you saw, Neil Armstrong and all those other astronauts on the moon. That, what you see is that's not who they are. The real person's on the inside. And the real person that you are is a spirit being that's on the... We'll break this down even more clearly when we do renewing the mind. And so that's who you are. And so we learn, need to learn to live more in touch with not just who we are on the inside, but who lives with us on the inside. Because if you're born again, God has not only, he's not only put his nature in you and made you a new person on the inside, but he's put his spirit to live inside of you. In fact, the place where you and Christ are joined together is in your spirit man. Your spirit and God's spirit are fused together. We'll talk much more about that when we do Renewing the Mind, because that's how God communicates with us, by and large. But that's who you really are, and we talked about who this person is. Paul wrote in one of his letters to the first church, the church of Corinth, he says, you know, you're, just, you're acting like mere men, mere human beings. You're acting like you're just human, which the implication is you're not just human. On the inside, you are a child of God. We've talked about all these things. But the issue, the challenge is, how do I get what's on the inside of me out so that it affects my life, my family, and the people that I meet because that's what God has intended for us to do. Jesus put it a different way. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. The branches are connected to the vine so that the vine can produce its fruit through the branches. The branches don't produce the fruit the vine produces it through the branches, but the branch has to be vitally connected to the, to, the, to the tree or to the vine so that the vine can produce its fruit through the branch. We'll see that a little more this morning. So how do we do that? So we're going to look further more. We're taking our time with this because this is where we live, and this is so, so important. So we saw last week in Ephesians chapter 4, if you put that up, 
that you put on the new man, which was, was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. So this new man, this new creature this, of, that's in Christ is in you now, but you have to put it on. And the verses before said you have to put off the old man and you have to put on the new man. I had to do it during worship. I found myself bombarded with thoughts that were not godly thoughts that I wanted. <gasps> you get thoughts that aren't godly? Don't look at me so holy, so do you. And all of a sudden I remembered this verse and I said, wait a minute, that's not who I am. I don't have to take those thoughts. That's not who I am. I am in Christ right now and in Christ I am as holy as He is and I am as righteous as He is because I'm in Him. And all those thoughts just faded away. So that was an act of putting off the old man, just rejecting him. That's not who I am and turning to the man that I really am on the inside and who's really living on the inside. And the verse before says this, we do this by changing how we think. Let's go to, um, uh, it's done by renewing your mind. We looked last week and we'll spend a lot of time in Romans chapter 12 because it says you're transformed by renewing your mind. Changing how you think about yourself and changing how you think about all the things that are around you by learning to look behind behind the curtain. So let's go to Galatians chapter 5. We looked at this and this is kind of where we, uh, we didn't look at this one. This is really what we're talking about. Paul is coming to a conclusion about something. He says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So the Bible term for what we're talking about is walking in the spirit. Walking in the spirit. Not, not the spirit being in you, but walking in the spirit And we've talked about the word walk when the Bible talks about walking, especially Paul. He's talking about how you live your life, how you conduct your life, not just when you're in church. And you should notice this. If you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Satan's, one of his favorite tricks for Christians is to try to get you to overcome, to get you to overcome the lusts of your flesh by your own effort. And you can't do it. Because if you overcome one, another one's going to get stronger. And if you overcome all of them, then pride's going to break forth. Look what I did. So the only way you can do that is to allow the Spirit in you to fill you up so much that those lusts have no attractiveness to you anymore. Walking in the Spirit. That's the term the Bible uses for what we're looking into. Now, walking in the Spirit is not some spooky or strange thing because those of us with Pentecostal backgrounds have seen some spooky, strange things. And so some people therefore think that walking in the Spirit means... Oh, oh, Pastor, the Lord, the Spirit showed me exactly what clothes to put on. He showed me which foot to put which sock on this morning. I don't think the Lord cares which sock clothes you wore today, unless there was some special purpose that he had for it. But we get spooky about some of these things, and it can scare sane people away. Come into a service where you're seeing spooky things. Now, the Spirit of God can do some strange things, but it's not as often as a lot of people think it is. 
So, first thing is, walking in the Spirit does not mean you're spooky. We are to overcome our flesh, but not by our own effort, but by allowing the real nature in us to control us. And notice it goes on to say, put it back up again, Galatians 5.16. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. So here's the two realms in you. There's your real you on the inside, your real nature, and it's, it's, it's trying to produce on the outside who you really are, that fruit. But your flesh, until it's trained, is going to fight against it. I'll give you a couple of easy ways to find that out. Decide you're going to get up at 5 o'clock tomorrow morning and pray for an hour. Another, try fat, I'm going to fast tomorrow. Whenever I know I'm going to fast, I have trouble sleeping. I'll wake up in the night, so you're going to die. When I first started getting up early to pray in the morning, my mind would say, you know, you're going to die. This is back when I was a lawyer. You're not going to make it. You won't be able to, you won't be able to function. Well, I'm still here. I functioned. It was lying to me. Your, your flesh has a voice. And it will talk to you until you learn to walk more in the spirit, conscious of the spirit that's in you. Most Christians are controlled by their mind and their flesh. And their spirit man in them is dormant. With all the potential of what God wants to do and can do in you. So that you cannot do the things that are, that are contrary to one another. So that you cannot do the things that you wish, that your flesh wishes. You have a responsibility to keep it under control. So let's go to Romans chapter 8. This is, if, I, if I could only, only had that one chapter in the Bible, this would be the one I would have. In fact, I've, it's virtually memorized, not because I sat down to memorize it. I've read it so many times and meditated on it so many times. Because it really contains the heart of the gospel. But we're going to pick up at this, this, just this two verses. For those who live according to the flesh, those who are living on this side of the curtain, those whose whole perspective of what life is, those whose whole consciousness of what's real is what's on this side of the curtain, what our natural senses tell us, what we read on the news, whatever it is, uh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. So when we're living conscious only of this outside realm, then that's what our mind is set on. That's what Paul is saying here. But those who live according or trusting in or conscious of the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. I want to go back. Don't, go, don't turn back, but just to go back to this phrase, walking in the Spirit. What does that mean? It means to learn to live your life more conscious of the Spirit being on the inside than what's going on in the world around you. You can come to the place. I know people have. I'm not there yet that are far more aware of the spirit realm that's in them and around them than they are of the physical, natural things. So you can grow to that place, and we're going to learn how to do that. And so here he's saying, if you live according to the flesh, if, you're, if, you're, if your whole perspective, if your way you base your decisions on is the flesh, because your mind is set on the things of the flesh... But those who live according to the Spirit, who walk in the Spirit, have their mind set on the things of the Spirit. So we're talking about changing how you think, so what you set your mind on 
is what makes the difference. And you choose what you set your mind on. But there are many voices out there trying to get your mind's attention and focus. So you have to learn to discern who you need to let your mind be set on. So to live according to the flesh means your mind set on this side of the curtain. What's, what we think is real here. Living according to the Spirit means your mind is set on the reality that's behind the curtain. Give me, let me give you an example. And I shared a little bit of this before you and gave you some examples. But I've trained myself and I'm not perfect at this. So when a crisis comes, and usually they come at you suddenly, I've learned, and again, I'm not by any means perfect at this, I've learned to turn inside and try to f- get in touch with what's going on on the inside of me. And I'm not talking about my stomach. My spirit man. I told you stories when I was a lawyer and did that in court at how the Holy Spirit showed me something that literally turned a whole case around with information I didn't have. So God's wisdom is in you, but, we, but because we don't turn inside, but we turn everywhere else and through including, you know, Christian websites and prayer lines and those things. There's nothing wrong with those. But why don't you try, first of all, tuning in here? Because God, as I was telling my wife yesterday, you'll get up in the morning sometimes and the Lord begins to direct you somewhere. A verse will call your attention to and you start reading that verse. Well, that's not an accident that the Holy Spirit showed that to you. He may well know that sometime during this day you or someone else may need that. I know you've experienced that. That's growing confidence that he really is in there. And he's really in there to help me. That's why the Bible calls him a helper. Because he's there to help you. He's in there to help you. And he can give you a help you can't get yourself or from anywhere else in this world. So... Walking in the Spirit means you're learning to live more aware, more conscious of who it is that you are on the inside and who lives in there, in there with you. Let's go to verse uh, 6. For to be carnally minded, that means have your mind set on this outer realm, what's on this side of the curtain, is death. That doesn't mean you're going to die if you think of the wrong things. It's pro- this world is producing death. Just read the newspaper. <laughs> it will not bring life, the God, life of God to you by thinking about all the time what's going on in this world, in this life, in your body, in your finances. You may need to pay attention to these things, but if that's where your mind is set, it's producing spiritual death. I'm not talking about going to heaven. I'm talking about it, it's, a, it's a separation from the life of God. Not in, in reality, but in your experience. So one of the things we'll learn is, as we go through renewing the mind. There's a difference between what God's done and what you're experiencing of what God's done. So it's what you're experiencing of His life that I'm talking about right now. But to be spiritual-minded is life and peace. So almost always when you've lost your peace, it's because you're not being mindful of the Spirit. You're not walking in the Spirit you're being moved by what's going on in the world around you or even in your own body if you're dealing with sickness and disease. See, this applies even to healing. 
Because if you're in need of healing in your body, your physical body, the part of you that's on this side of the curtain, is talking to you. It's telling you some story. You're not going to make it. You're going to die. You know, you're going to not be able to go to work tomorrow. You're not going to be able to do this. You can't do that. It's telling you all kinds of things. And if that's where your mind is all the time, then the healing that God has already put inside of you can't come out without some supernatural work of God. So this applies in almost everything we do with God. Verse 7. Because the carnal mind, the mind that's set only on this side of the curtain, is at enmity with God. It's against God. Why? Because on this side of the curtain, we're trying to handle everything ourselves. We're trying to figure out. The Lord had to correct me this week and show me a major insight for me to see about myself. Because the way my mind works, when I see a problem, I'm immediately trying to figure out the answer. And especially when it's me. If I wake up feeling a certain way or I notice I'm having a certain mood, I'm immediately going to try to figure out why and what do I have to do to fix it. And the Lord showed me, used me as an example of a student. A student enrolls in college or enrolls in a private school or just you go to a public school. They go there for what... I mean, I'll tell you this story. When we went to Bible school, I was in my late 30s. And, and I, you know, I'd been a lawyer in Boston for over 10 years and gone to law school, had a doctorate degree in law. I was, you know, so I'm going to Bible school and I'm sitting next to kids that are just coming out of high school. And I'm sitting there and, and here's Brother Hagen teaching, telling the same story over and over and over and over and over and over again. And I'm sitting here and I'm, 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 I'm getting an attitude. Look, I've sat under brilliant professors. They taught from outlines, I think in outlines, and he's telling the same story over and over and over and over again. And suddenly God spoke to me, he said, son, why are you here? I said, yeah, that's a good question. I left everything back in Boston. I left the practice. We got rid of a beautiful house. I've moved my family halfway across the country. My family's now doubled in size. You know, and he says, yeah. You think, he said, you're here for what he knows, not what you know. So shut up and listen. My son, attend to my words. And I had to put my pride aside and realize, if I, I've invested all this to get whatever God has out of here. I better be quiet, and I better change my attitude right now. Now, unfortunately, there were students all around me. A lot of times they were the younger students. Their, their attitude never changed. But I was going to get what he had because I, he knew things I didn't know. And so we've got to learn to recognize that... that, that God has things for us. The Spirit of God wants to teach us. He doesn't want to hear what we know. We need to hear what He knows. There's an old story about this old southern pastor lying on the floor with a small congregation praying over the stuff going on in their church and things like that, just crying out to God and complaining and going over all kinds of stuff. And suddenly, it's like he said, I came to my senses. And he said, oh God, forgive me. Here lies an old fool who knows nothing doing all the talking to a God who knows everything. And he lives 
in you. So the carnal mind, the mind that's on the, this world, is at enmity with God. It's struggling against God. Put that verse back up there. For it's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. Because it's trying to figure everything out itself. Well, we've got to move on here. All right. So, that's, I'm kind of going back a little bit, because last week we talked about the very first tool for learning to do this is putting the Word of God in you. We talked about Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 23. My son, attend to my words. This is God talking to you and me. Attend to my words. Not just read them, but pay attention to them. It's like God spoke to me in, 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 in Raymond. It says, shut up and listen to what he has to say. God has things to say to you. Attend to my words. It's my, he's speaking to you. Galatians 6, I want to look at these. We talked about this too. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. Verse 8. For he who sows to the flesh, we're talking about what you think about, will of his flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life, God's life in you. Now I want to get to what I really want to get to. Matthew chapter 13. And I thought we'd have more time for this, but we'll do whatever we've got to do. Okay. It's the parable of the sower. And we're just going to go down through this because this is the most important parable Jesus taught. And I know that because He said so. On the same day, Jesus went down out of the house and sat by the sea, and a great multitude were gathered together to Him. So that He got in a boat and sat, and a whole multitude stood on the shore. And He spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. That's plant things. And he sowed, some seed fell on the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on a stony place where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. We'll explain that later on. When the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. And others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty, and some, uh, some 60 and some 30. Listen to this, verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Pastor Michael, a while ago, a few years ago, did a great series on listening. And the disciples came to him and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Why are you just telling us stories? Why don't you just tell us what you want us to know? So he answered them. Because it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it's not been given. I used to read that and say, I thought he was no respecter of persons. Jesus is saying, my inner club here, you get to know the real secrets, but the rest of the dummies out there, that's not what he's saying. He says, look what he says. He says, for whoever has, next verse, whoever has to him more will be given, and he will be given in abundance. But whom who does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. That makes no sense, because how can... If what you, somebody has, they can be given more. That I understand. But if somebody doesn't have any, how can what they have be taken away from them? They didn't have any. Because so he can't be talking about what they're receiving. What's he talking about? What he said above, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So he's saying, he who has ears to hear, 
What he has will grow and increase. But he who does not have ears to hear, even what he hears will eventually be taken away from him. So the key here is hearing or receiving the word that's sown. Pastor Michael mentioned this on Wednesday night. Receiving, hearing the word that's sown. We've got to move on. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because parables, because seeing they don't see, hearing they don't hear. Why? Because they're looking at everything on this side of the curtain. They're thinking in natural terms. Well, this is a nice story about a farmer who wasn't very smart, because he wasted a bunch of seed he threw some on the road. Well, everybody knows you throw it on the road, the birds are going to eat it. He threw some on the just beside of the road. He ought to know better than that. So they're sitting there listening to this story as it's a nice story, just like many of you do in church on Sunday morning. I didn't say that. Jesus said it. <laughs> Jesus is saying to pastors, only one quarter of the people that hear you, that you speak to, will hear what you have to say. He said that. So are you in the quarter? That's your choice. So, so this is what Jesus is talking about here. He always hears to hear. Okay. Therefore I speak to them in parables because I sing, seeing they don't see, hearing they don't hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, saying, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of the people have grown dull. There's the key. The hearts of the people have grown dull. Why? Because they've been feeding on the seed of this world. They've been feeding on, thinking about, meditating on, talking about, immersed in the stuff on this side of the curtain, which does not lead to life. So their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes have are grown closed. They're open, but they don't see anything. They're spiritually dull lest they should see and understand, and their heart should turn, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see, but they didn't see it or hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. So verse 18, he's going to explain it. Therefore hear the parable of the sower. Understand it. When anyone hears the word of God of the kingdom and does not understand it. Now, Mark's version of this says, makes clear that the seed is the word of God. So then we're talking about, we're talking about getting the word of God in us because the word of God is anointed to do this process of bringing to the outside who you really are. So Jesus in this parable is teaching them, teaching us how to let God's word become productive in us. In fact, in one of the others, he said, if you can understand this parable, then you can understand all the rest. But if you don't understand this, you'll miss everything else. Why? Because this is the key to receiving from God. Verse 19. Anyone who hears the word of God, of the word of a kingdom, and does not understand it, then the word is quickly, the wicked one comes and snatches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he who does not receive the, who received the seed by the wayside. Why? Because there was no soil there for it to take root in. 
But he who received the seed in stony places, that's he who hears the word of God and receives it with joy, and yet it has no root in himself, but endures for a little while, because the soil is thin. So when the seed is planted in the soil, the roots go out, they can't go down, because the soil has no depth to it. And when the roots go out, they have no strength to them. There was a picture I saw a number of years ago. A terrible windstorm came through here. We were somewhere else. And on national news, there was a picture of a tree over in Cranston or Warwick somewhere that had blown over in somebody's yard. And you could see the huge tree, but the roots were not deep. They were going out, so there was nothing to hold that tree in when the winds came in blue. But he who received the seed, verse 20, in so many places, he who hears the word immediately and receives it with joy. Praise God! Hallelujah! I used to get concerned because a lot of times when I preached, I didn't hear a lot of noise back. And then I discovered it's because people were actually listening. That doesn't mean there's not times to shout and say, praise God, that's good. But if that's all we're doing, I can't be talking and listening at the same time. I can't be shouting, praise God, hallelujah, and be hearing. So it's, we've got to learn how to process while we're listening. Allow the Spirit of God to take the seed that's ministered to you, whoever's up here, and sow it into your heart. And our job is to make sure that our heart is as open to receive the seed of the Word of God because it's the seed that produces. Everything that's needed to produce an oak tree is in that one acorn. Everything except the water and the nutrition, and the place. So all the potential of that enormous oak tree is in that little acorn. And all the potential that God has to do for you and in you and through you is in the little seeds of His Word. It's all in there. And all you have to do is get it in the soil. All you've got to do to grow a rose bush or grow any kind of plant is to put the seed in the soil and to water it. And for it will produce everything's needed. The life, the force, the power of God to produce is in the seed. But it's what you do with the seed. That's why when the disciples say, well, Lord, you know, what was wrong with our faith? He said, all you need is faith the side of a grain of mustard seed. It's the tiniest seed. But you've got to plant it in good soil. And this is why Jesus is saying, this is the most important thing that I can teach you right now because it's the key to under receiving, letting this word that I'm preaching produce fruit in your life. For, that when, for when tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, Satan knows it's the word in your heart that will produce, so he'll do everything he can to either get that word not in your heart, or if it's in your heart, to make sure it doesn't get deep, or if it gets deep, to make sure there are distractions. Because he knows what that word will do if it gets sown down in your heart, and it's kept there. Because of persecution and tribulation arises because of the word immediately stumbles. Verse 22, he who receives seed among the thorns who hears the word and the cares of this world, understand the cares of this world are a weapon of Satan. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. If Satan can't keep the word from getting in your heart, he's going to try to choke it 
So it's not effective by sowing things into your heart that compete with your heart. That's why Proverbs says, verse 24, 4.24, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flow the forces, the effectiveness, the forces of God, the forces of life, either for good or the forces of Satan for bad, the spiritual forces. But he who receives the seed, I want to stop there a second, because this is where most of us live. The cares of this world. Pastor Michael started a series West Wednesday night on worry. Don't worry. It's not a suggestion. Jesus didn't say, you know, it'd be a good idea to not worry because then your life will be happier. Jesus commanded us not to worry. Because as Pastor Michael so well brought out, when we worry, we're putting another God in our heart. Because it competes for the life forces that are in this spirit man in you. It competes for them. It draws your energy. It draws your mind's focus. It draws your powerful words out of your mouth. And you do not have to worry. And if you want to know how not to worry come Wednesday night because he's going to teach you how not to worry. Is that a good enough plug, Pastor Michael? All right, good. It's a good series. All right, he's a good teacher. But it's the choice we make. Oh, I better not go there. (laughs) The cares of this world, they're not just part of life. They're a weapon. Remember, you're not just a human. It doesn't mean cares won't come, but they don't have to overcome you. It doesn't mean that, that, that tragedy doesn't come. It doesn't mean that challenges don't come. But they don't have to pull the word out of your heart. They don't have to, oh, they don't have to overcome you. In fact, Jesus' promises to the church in the book of Revelation is to he who overcomes... But you cannot overcome if you're just trying to use your human willpower and your human resources. The God in you is an overcoming God. He says, I will lead you in triumph, in victory. But the, com- the competition for that are the cares of this world. It doesn't mean you're not responsible. It doesn't mean you don't need to take care of things. But when the care becomes a burden on your heart, when it begins to draw your life out of you and begins to wear you down, that's been sent to steal the effective... It can't take the word out, but he's choking it so that it doesn't produce fruit that other people can enjoy and that you can enjoy. But praise God, verse 23, he who received the seed on good ground is he who hears the word, understands it, and indeed it bears fruit and produces some a hundred, some sixty, and some... 30. God has given us His Word. It's anointed by Him to change you from the inside out. It's anointed. Your spirit feeds on God's Word. Your spirit will grow as you feed upon God's Word. And it's not just reading it. It's meditating on it. It's speaking it out, and then it's acting it out. It's doing what the Word says to do. 
But it's the Word is the first thing we've got to learn. Without this Word sown in your heart, this will never happen in your life. The Word of God. It's God's anointed Word speaking to you. The same God whose words created the universe by saying, let there be. The same God who spoke to storms through when He walked on this earth and they were still. The same God who spoke to dead and they came alive lives in you. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. He will quicken and make alive your mortal, physical, carnal body. That's not just talking about resurrection of your body. It's talking about the life of God in you being worked to the outside of you so that not only do you enjoy it, but others can smell and appreciate and feed on the fruit that God's Spirit produces through you. But it's the Word, the seed sown in your heart and then guarding your heart to make sure that as best you can, you keep out those things that compete with the Word of God and understanding every thought that comes to you, what it's intended to do. We'll talk more about that in Renewing the Mind. Because I understood that when those thoughts came to me this morning, I knew what to do with them. I knew not to accept them as, oh, that's who I am. And you're not going to be able to preach. Because the message was, because this is who you are, you can't preach effectively today. Well, I've heard that one before. But I had to know that that was a weapon and that I don't have to give in to that weapon. I can respond to that weapon. And then when I, the moment I did that, the life of God in me began to rise up. Because I made a choice whether to deal with it on this side of the curtain or to live on the other side of the curtain, the real side of the curtain. Let's pray. Father, your seed has been sown into our hearts today by your Spirit. And Jesus has taught us that this Word sown in our hearts will produce a harvest in our life, in our family, in our community, in our church, wherever it is you want to bring us. Help us today to become more sensitive and more aware of our heart, of our spirit, and of your word in our heart. Help us to become more discerning of what we're sowing into our heart and into our mind. We thank you that you've given us your spirit, a helper, to lead us into truth, to guide us into truth. Help us to learn to be more sensitive to him and more aware of him. We thank you for the grace because we will make mistakes. We will slip and we will fail from time to time. But your grace allows us to get back up again, forgiveness, and to move on because you're more concerned with us getting to the finish line than you are every individual step. And so we thank you for this grace. Right now we pray, Father, for anyone that's watching or here this morning that's never received Christ, the ultimate seed, never received Christ into your life as the Savior that you sent to the cross to die to pay for their sins and never received him as Lord to govern their lives and to take charge and to lead their lives. Help them right now to recognize their need and to receive this gift that you have for them. 
in Jesus' name. Those of you maybe watching this morning, those of you that are here that have, that have never received Christ, let me explain to you what I mean by that. The Bible tells us that God loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son, that's Jesus, so that whoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. What is that talking about? Here's the problem. God is a holy God. In order to dwell with him in heaven, you have to be as holy as he is. There's no other alternative. And God knows that's impossible for us because we're very unholy. The Bible is turned, it's used as sinners. It's our nature. So because God loves us so much, he said, this is what I will do. He sent his sinless son to this earth to become a human being and live holy for 33 and a half years. And at the appointed time, God sent him to be nailed to a cross. And on that cross, God took your sin and my sin and all of our sin, the sin of the world. And God put that sin on his son. And then God poured out his righteous judgment for that sin, your sin and my sin, on his sinless son so that it was paid for in full. Jesus' last words were, it's finished, it's over. So what's left is you have to now receive him into your life as the one who paid for your sins. And that's a personal thing. And then you have to take your life as it is right now. Then you have to turn it over to him that he may be Lord of your life. And it's an ongoing process, but it starts with a commitment to him that you make to turn your life around from where it was and to give your life to him for him to govern it. And it's a serious choice. So I don't want you to make it lightly. So what I want to do is, if that's you this morning, either here or watching online, I want to lead you in a very simple prayer to help you do this. But you've got to want to do it. You don't need to understand it all, but you've got to be serious about this. So if you are, I want to ask you to pray this with me. It doesn't matter whether you kneel or stand or whatever. What matters most is that you mean this with your heart as best you can. And that applies to those of you that are here. So I'm going to ask all of us to pray this together and then I want to give you a little bit of instruction. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. You know everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said, everything I ever thought. For whatever did not please you, I ask you to forgive me. I repent of it. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Make me clean in your sight. Jesus, I call upon you to come into my life as my Savior. And I take my life as it is right now. And I put it into your hands to be Lord. Fill me with your Spirit that I may live strong for you for the rest of my days. Thank you for loving me this much. Amen. Now, if you pray that with me this morning or you're online, here's what I want you to do. Two things. There's a phone number at the bottom of your screen. I want you to write that down and I want you to call it tomorrow morning because someone will answer the phone because we have some free material that we want to send out to you. And if you have any needs, they'd be happy to pray for you. 
If you're here and you prayed that either for the first time or you've made a recommitment, when we dismiss in just a minute or so, if you go around to your right to the cafe there, the common ground, someone will be there. Pastor Michael, I believe, will be there, Maria, and give you the same materials that we're giving away, giving away online. Praise the Lord. Let's stand.